0: Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Advisor podcast. Today, I have Mr. Greg Foss. Welcome, Greg.
1: Pleasure to be here, sir. Thanks for having me.
0: No, the pleasure is all mine, as they say. So I'm going to start in the same place as I did on episode one and ask you the, the high-level question, why is Bitcoin an important part of your investment portfolio in today's investment landscape?
1: All right. Well, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you could answer, it could take half an hour to answer. That's no, okay.
1: no, this is good. This is good. That's a big question, but it's pretty simple to answer. You know, I've been in the investing profession, managing other people's money for a long time, and it's a very difficult business. Ultimately, what you have to do is understand that it's a game of probabilities. And any investment is a combination of a, call it a, a series of probabilities, a continuous distribution of probabilities, most likely in some sort of bell curve shape. But there's very rarely anything with 100% certainty. You know, so many things can happen. It's a game of expected value, probable outcomes. But the one thing, Jake, that I'm 100% certain of, and this very rarely happens in any investing scenario. I'm 100% certain that fiat money will continue to debase on an accelerated basis because of the global debt spiral. And I'm an engineer by training. Mathematics is the base layer of my language and is actually the base layer of language everywhere. But I rely on mathematics. So if you give me something with a 100% certainty, there's no doubt then you have to construct a portfolio to address that 100% certainty. And Bitcoin is within my hard asset allocation of assets that will protect myself against fiat debasement. There's no question in my mind that it is the best horse in the race. I'm borrowing that phrase from Paul Tudor Jones. But I believe that every portfolio in the world needs an allocation to Bitcoin because of the certainty of fiat debasement. Now, interestingly today, when you sent around some questions that people wanted to ask, well, then Foss, why Bitcoin and not this other thing? And I don't even know what other proof of work coin somebody brought up, never heard of it. And the simple answer is, first of all, Bitcoin has first mover advantage. Secondly, and most importantly, it is the most secure digital asset defended by the strongest computer network in the world and defined by its 21 million supply of Bitcoin. So you might say, well, I'm going to start this other coin. It's also proof of work, but it's only got 2.1 million coins. It's therefore more scarce and therefore better than Bitcoin. No, no, it's not because in order to transfer value over this network, you need security of the network. And I might have a portion of these 2.1 million coins of this quasi new Bitcoin. The network's nowhere near as secure. Like, I just wouldn't invest my money into that protocol for the same risk return advantages of Bitcoin and the security that it offers. So, Bitcoin's the only digital asset that protects me against the Fiat Ponzi. There are other assets out there that offer protection, not as good as Bitcoin, but I own gold, shame on me, but yes, I own gold. Old habits die hard, I'm 60 years old, I own gold. I own real estate to an extent, another hard asset, nowhere near as transferable, portable, nowhere near as liquid, Nowhere near as scarce. There are certain scarce real estate assets, but as a whole, not as scarce as Bitcoin. But I do own real estate because I view value in real estate of having your own shelter, a family dwelling, et cetera, et cetera. So Bitcoin is my digital asset that protects against the certainty of fiat debasement. And therefore, Bitcoin is my digital asset of choice. And I believe everybody, who is exposed to fiat money, which is everybody, needs to own Bitcoin.
0: Awesome. What a great starting place. And so would you be willing to share of your net wealth, what percentage you're roughly sitting in Bitcoin today?
1: Yeah, I I have in the past. uh, It fluctuates. Four zero percent. So forty percent. I often say as well that uh, I don't want everybody to get to 40 percent. I think that's Irrational to think that. And there's then people that own close to 100%. I'm not knocking them either. Just as a gentleman of my age with three kids and other obligations, 40%, some of it was capital appreciation. A lot of it was hard work and study and getting more comfortable with the asset. But I don't need 100% exposure to Bitcoin for two reasons. The first one is with the asymmetric outcome of Bitcoin. I believe that 40% can turn into easily 10 times that from here and even 100 times that. So what does that mean? Well, my 40% becomes 400% of my portfolio. (laughs) Everything else being equal, it's not really. It's 397%. And then there's the other 3%, which is my residual assets. But the point is the asymmetry of Bitcoin doesn't require a guy like Greg Foss to own 100%. If you're 25 years old, okay, you have no kids, you don't have a house, you don't have a family, you have a low time preference, hey, I'm good with you being 100% exposed to this. But don't forget, 100% exposure to a 25-year-old is most likely a lot less of an amount of money. And I'm not saying I'm rich, but by the same token, I've worked for 35 years to build a, a net worth it's generally probably higher than that 100% of that 25-year-old's net worth on a notional dollar. So that's the first. And the second one is this, more importantly, I own Bitcoin for my kids. I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to live, but statistically, even in 20 years, I don't care if Bitcoin does not achieve my price target that I have for it. I believe it will, but even if it doesn't, It's for my children that I own it, and it's their time frame that can adjust to that as well. So, you know, we could get into this, what my price target is on Bitcoin. I'll give you a target, but not a time. I own Bitcoin as insurance because I'm very worried about a world that is built upon debt. And if the world loses confidence in that debt structure, the world could become an Venezuela, where fiat money was just shoveled to the curve because it had no value, it wasn't even worth the value of the paper to start a fire to heat the home. Because I guess in Venezuela, you don't really need to heat your home, but everything else being equal, you just got to be very cognizant of the risks that exist in the fiat system. Um, and so depending on your life expectancy, depending on your family situation. All of these are different things. And I'm going to summarize this up in a nice bowl. Just don't own zero. I'm okay with whatever allocation you have to Bitcoin, but zero or even being shorted because you're so convinced it's the wrong asset. You haven't done your homework. You're in a much more risky position than having a proper portfolio allocation. And we can talk about portfolio, how you determine portfolio allocations, Nakamoto portfolio, Dot com swan bitcoin open source software tool all of this is so cool and by the way jake welcome to the podcast circuit am i number two am i your second
0: yeah so greg i had a podcast called bitcoin with jake where i did about 80 or so episodes of which um you joined me for one uh, which would have been about a year ago and um more recently i've teamed up with peter dunworth and andy and we're building oh, this wow. business. hey bitcoin i'm a big Heiser. fan
1: of peter i'm a big fan of peter dunworth i don't know him let's be clear yeah, but i like a, his stuff so
0: he's a great guy uh, we've become okay. very close friends in the last couple of years and hey
1: man good team
0: yeah it's really cool he's so i'm based in melbourne he's in sydney and he was a big part of my personal journey to making a big allocation to bitcoin in my eyes at least And, you know, why real estate, why Bitcoin, why gold, why all these questions? And as high net wealth investors, it's like, you're not messing around with, well, you just, you can't fuck it up in some ways. And so what we're doing is helping to manage keys for multi-sig vaults. So we're not a financial advisor, as the Bitcoin advisor. We're a collaborative custody product, essentially. So a nice front end for people allocating into Bitcoin that don't feel comfortable looking after all of their own keys which is really exciting. And so thank you for asking. This is episode number two of the Bitcoin Advisor podcast. I got you. Who was the and first so one? Jeff Booth. Booth. Yeah. Yeah, well, our, man. What our man.
1: Our man. So yeah, listen, <laughs> why do you even have a second episode? You should just play the <laughs> first one. You
0: don't need one, one. exactly. Just play, Let's yeah, drop yeah, the just mic there. The, Cheers, Yeah, Jeff. just
1: play the first one over and over again. You don't need to hear from me, man. Just listen to Jeff's stuff. So.
0: No, we absolutely do, Greg. and And, and the array of guests we're going to get all help to build a a thesis for why bitcoin is important and so yeah. you you've already touched on so many things that make sense as to why bitcoin's important but before we get to price targets and things like that i really just want to focus on what the kind of macro situation is today so you know why is fiat currency 100% guaranteed to debase and just talk through a bit more of the 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 risk for traditional assets that might not be apparent to the average person who's using a financial advisor and has a 60-40 bond equity portfolio, et cetera.
1: Okay, uh, wow, a lot there too. So here's the good thing. We could spend the entire rest of the hour on this, but let's start with simple math because I think a lot of your listeners may or may not know that I, I've already said it on your podcast, but I also have a slogan. It's only math, okay? So let's start with the only math part of it. In the world today total global financial assets are 900 trillion US dollars. Let's take a step back. One of the reasons I love Jeff Booth so much is before I met him I read his book. And I couldn't believe that my thesis on Bitcoin and the the statistics I used is from the Institute of International Finance that Jeff Booth actually quotes in his book as well. Okay? I'm like, I got to meet this guy. What? He's Canadian <laughs> as well? Oh, man, do I ever got to meet this guy. We were like brothers from another mother, you know? And so he's one of the beautiful people that I've met in the Bitcoin community. So anyway, $900 trillion US dollars, total global financial assets, of which $400 trillion is global debt. That includes all government debt, but it also includes all corporate debt, real estate, funding, mortgages, etc., But the total of 900 trillion, 400 trillion of it, is global debt. So let's play a game. What would be an average coupon we could put on that debt with a high degree of likelihood that the blended average or the weighted average was higher than that coupon? Because that's what debt is. It's a contractual obligation. You don't not pay your debt. If you do not pay your interest coupon, You default, it's classified as a default, you've broken that contract. So US 10 year treasuries are 3.75% and I'm gonna put a global coupon on 400 trillion of a 3% coupon. Now here's the kicker, that 400 trillion is actually four times the size of global GDP, which is your tax base, right? So if you have $400 trillion of debt and a $100 trillion global economy, and this debt has a coupon, and I just threw out a low coupon of 3%, that means your numerator is growing at four times your denominator, which is your tax base, four times an average coupon, 12%. Four times three, 12% annually. Is it likely, Jake, that global GDP will grow at 12% annually just to keep pace with the organic, not deficit spending, just organic growth of this numerator? Is it likely that global GDP will grow at
0: 12%? Not when you look at the numbers. No, so it's
1: actually not. impossible. Okay, yeah. so it's actually impossible, which is to say...
0: that Is there even the, one country growing at a GDP of 12%?
1: Some of them. But they don't matter because the biggest country in the world, the USA, is growing at like, you know, less than 2% annually. And those are nominal numbers, not real numbers. But it doesn't matter. Stick with me. You got a numerator growing at 12% and a denominator that's growing at less than 10%. What does that mean? That the debt burden is going to continue to grow faster than your tax base. So you say to me, Foss, go and raise the tax rate. And I'll say... They've done that. And every time they do that, tax revenue actually declines because more of the economy goes underground. So there's a law of diminishing marginal returns on your tax base. There is no scenario that I can see where global GDP will exceed the organic growth of your debt because of the interest coupon, which means the debt will continue to expand. And this is the kicker. This is before countries like the USA are running annual deficits of 8% of their GDP. Not only are they not keeping pace if everything was fixed right now, they're increasing their debt burden by 8% of GDP to fund all these programs they can't otherwise pay for. Which means fiat currency is the error term. They need to continue to print fiat money to pay back, The debt in the numerator. And guess what? In a debt spiral, debt never matures. It needs to roll over. So this concept at all, 10-year treasuries just matured, they didn't mature. They issued new 10-year treasuries to pay for the old 10-year treasuries, plus they got to issue more. Well, eventually the only buyer is the central banks that can print money to make sure this debt spiral doesn't unravel. Hope that's pretty clear. I like to call it 11th grade math. So that's why I'm 100% certain that fiat money will continue to debase. And it's not a hard call, Jake. It has debased for the last 100 years as well. So it'll just continue the trend. But the math of it is it will accelerate because of these twin deficits. The twin deficits are typically called your fiscal deficit and your current account deficit. I don't need to get into the economics of it, but... 100% 100% certain fiat money will continue to debase.
0: Fascinating. And so for the, the people out there listening that, you know, you might hold a an investment account with a traditional money manager that looked after your parents or it got passed on to you. The portfolio you get given once a year and they say, oh, look, look how wonderfully we did. And the macro headwind <laughs> was awful. And, you know, yeah. we still got paid, wink, wink, but, you know, come and have lunch with us. The point is the bonds that you hold in these portfolios are actually far, far higher risk than what anyone's telling you. And purely because of what Greg has just talked you through. And some interesting points that I always look at is debt to GDP ratios and like historically when a country goes bankrupt. And so perhaps just talk us through that. The traditional cliff to my mind is if you reach 130% of debt to GDP, then you're completely fucked. And to be serious. It depends
1: on the country. Let's be careful. Like the, the USA, okay, well,
0: talk us through it. How do you, yeah. how do you see that? Because obviously global debt to GDP is 4x. So yeah. that's like not but even close not to sovereign, that's not
1: that's not just country debt. That's all debt in the, in the whole okay. world.
0: Pull apart yeah. some of those numbers for us. So what, what's the importance of 130% to GDP? I'm not sure. Um, because
1: I wouldn't just say that's a hard and fast rule. It depends. Smaller companies default quicker than larger companies. Companies, not countries. Because larger companies tend to have staying power. Okay, so there's a market cap consideration and enterprise value consideration. And the same thing, in my opinion, applies to sovereign debt. I mean, come on, Argentina, which is a G20 country, has defaulted four times in my career. (laughs) Four times. And it's a G20, which means it's one of the 20 largest economies in the world. But it's not the USA. Okay, now you can argue versus hard defaults and soft defaults. I would argue that the USA has defaulted already the USA defaulted in 1971 when they got off the gold standard. It was a contractual default that wasn't reflected in the collapse of their bond markets, but it was a collapse in their integrity or their trustworthiness or a contract. Okay, But come back to this 130%. Look, and this is scary stuff, but even the Congressional Budget Office, which is, you know, the Financial Planning Bureau of the United States, projects numbers in excess of 200% debt to GDP, so twice as large. This is their planning facilities predicting that they will have that amount of debt, and I'm not going to say they're absolutely wrong, because until people stop accepting the repayment of debt with new debt, it can continue. And the USA will be the last fiat currency to fail. That I'm convinced of, which means countries like Canada, which is a G7 country, is in big trouble. And I like to throw out that. By the way, if Canada's in big trouble, so's Australia. So don't start, you know saying, "Oh, celebrating, celebrating. We're all in big trouble. Even the USA, it's just a degree of staying power. 130 percent interesting number. I mean, you certainly wouldn't run your personal finances on that basis, but the world has allowed them to run because to the extent that you accept their printed money, their new debt, as payment for the old debt, when in reality, the printed money you get is going to be worth much less than the old money you put in, and you continue that downward spiral to the point that it's only math. So the 60-40 portfolio. I traded bonds my entire life. I called at under one percent u s ten years. I wrote a paper it 's the basis of me ent- entering into the Bitcoin community. Why would you ever own sovereign debt at these rates? Oh, all the experts were out there. Don't worry. rates can go negative. Yeah, I know mathematically they can, but I also know things should have blown up, and they certainly did in the u k liability driven investing caused pension plans to fail because they levered bond returns to turn a two percent return they levered it three times to turn a two percent return into a six percent return and guess what all of a sudden they are down 40 percent so picking up nickels in front of a steamroller is never a smart thing but what has now happened is people are not taking into account the fiat debasement so You're still highly likely to get your U.S. Treasury debt repaid in 10 years if you lend to them today at 3.75%. But the value of the $100 you invest today is going to be worth far less in 10 years than it is today, right? That's the fiat debasement reality. Even though you got 3.75% paid semi-annually over the next 10 years, Plus, you get your $100 back, but it's in new money that's less valuable than the old money. That's the mathematics of bonds. There's no subjectivity to it. Again, bonds are a fixed coupon, a fixed income instrument. That's the only return you're getting. It's not like you have options on the value of Australia or some sort of optionality in beating the New Zealand All Blacks in a uh, in rugby game. That's not part of this contract. Like you can set contracts like that other ways, but it ain't part of a fixed income contract. And that's why fixed income is mathematics. And that's why it gives me high degree of confidence that if you own a 60-40 portfolio, you need to take part of your 40% that's allocated to bonds and you need to put it in Bitcoin, full stock. I am not arguing to take money out of gold to put into Bitcoin. No, I'm not arguing to take money out of real estate to put into Bitcoin. I am arguing to take money out of fixed income and put it into Bitcoin. And it's for that reason that I wrote my paper titled Why Every Fixed Income Portfolio Manager in the World Needs to Own Bitcoin as Portfolio Insurance. I calculate the value of Bitcoin using credit default swaps and all that exciting stuff. And you could believe in my model or not. That's my model but the reality is fiat debasement again is a certainty and i don't care if it's 130 percent of gdp it's a different world and the usa is the only global fiat that really 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 matters and i argue that bitcoin can help the usa avoid default as well if they start putting bitcoin on the balance sheet of the u.s treasury but that's a topic of another discussion
0: It's just so interesting to hear your insights on why Bitcoin's important. And we'll dig into like versus other assets in just a moment. But your story brings to mind a situation I was in. So my wife's Aussie, which is why I live in Melbourne, but I grew up in the UK and that's predominantly where most of my exposure to wealth management has been. So using traditional wealth managers in London to protect wealth over time. And the nefarious nature of this fiat world is your portfolio has gone up, right? And even just in the last 12 months, I had a money manager say to me that we should buy two-year government gilts at 3.5%. And I was like, well, inflation's 10%, mate. Why in the fuck would I agree to that? He's like, oh, well, you can actually get a tax deduction on this particular asset so that you're not paying income tax. So the real rate is 7.5%. And also no one can beat inflation. And so you're just like, first, you want me to buy bonds. And second, you're telling me that you can't beat inflation. So we're losing purchasing power year over year, and you think you're doing a good job. Fuck off. This is a joke. we got to get our money out of here, or at least 10% if you can, you know, move it across. To chime on what you were talking about, though, so let's just talk briefly through other things you can own. You spent 35 years working. You've worked your nuts off. You do not want to lose what you've worked for. You've got some other assets that you own as well as Bitcoin. Perhaps you could just run us through briefly why you think those other assets are important and how you compare them to Bitcoin.
1: So let's start with a traditional 60-40 portfolio. I own stocks because if you just look at a long-term graph, you can see that stocks tend to keep pace with your money supply, your growth in money supply. And your growth in money supply is a proxy for inflation. And therefore stocks have done nothing but perform exactly as inflation has over the years, okay which means at least keeps up with inflation as a diversified index there are some stocks that outperform the Amazons of the world but most stocks actually underperform the index and you know you lose money on those but let's just talk about stocks as a diversified portfolio so there that's 60 percent. Okay, I'm not going to take issue with that until we start to carve up the 40%, which we've already carved it up, which is bonds. But what other assets could that 40% be put into besides stocks? And you asked me about real estate. Look, I'm old-fashioned. I become emotionally attached to the house that my kids grew up in. And I do believe that the house has kept pace with inflation just as well as stocks have. Plus, it's got an emotional attachment to it. Plus, you can actually use that on your house. You can use that on equities as well. It's called margin. But I'd rather use debt on a house that's a less fluctuating value than a market that can, you know, lose 20% just because everyone's a seller, the stock market. And all of a sudden you get a margin call. Your house is a, a different animal. I know house prices do go down and they are volatile, but the, the mortgage itself is less volatile. If you have the cash flow to pay for your obligation, you own that house. I also own a rental property and another real estate asset in the United States. It's not an escape valve, but it, it can be viewed as a partial pleasure, partial insurance policy on Canada. Okay, Interesting. So different, different country um so i like real estate i also own gold for all the reasons that i own bitcoin except bitcoin's way better i own gold as insurance that bitcoin doesn't perform like i think it will because i'm not 100 percent certain that bitcoin will reach my price target and then you know other collectibles yeah i own some rare coins i own uh I'm not a huge art collector, but I wouldn't tell anybody to not own some fine art. The difference with all of those things, though, real estate in particular, is it's not portable, transferable. It's not liquid like Bitcoin. But neither does it have the upside that Bitcoin has either. Like, So that's why I don't have to put all my eggs in the Bitcoin basket, as I mentioned before. Real estate will not go up 400 times from here or 100 times from here. Over the next 20 years. But Bitcoin has a high degree of likelihood of doing that, in my opinion. So then you adjust your portfolio accordingly.
0: Okay, cool. And and the point is, is that it's horses for courses, right? Where is your expertise? What do you like? I'm currently living... Uh... In the space where I've got a young family and I really yes. do need a family home, yes. but decided to rent for a period of time because we were in a place that was too small in an area we didn't like. But now living the, let's say, negative externality of dealing with tenancy contracts and never quite sure where you're going to be 12 months from now. So, you know, if I can, within the next bull run, I'm going to take a bit of profit and try and, you know, buy myself a family home if I can. It's like, let's bed in and, and, and build a family. I can't okay. wait to do it. Okay,
1: that's the future. I don't care. If you have all the Bitcoin in the world, but you're not enjoying your life or enjoying a family, if you believe a family is important, which I absolutely believe a family is important. This is where you take pure mathematics and start bringing in some uh, psychology and emotion and loving life and rewarding other people for like your wife and your, your son or daughter for being a family person. You're managing your risk the best you can, but we're not asking everyone to live in a tent in order for all the money to go to the children, because I don't know, there's a chance that child might not be grateful or might not appreciate it and sell it <laughs> as soon as they get possession of it. I mean, look, is
0: <laughs> a lot of
1: things that can happen, but I mean, this is why you have to, it's, it's a distribution of probabilities, right? You know, I tend to think if you have a strong family, the kids that come out of that family are rational and they're good people as well. But part of being a strong family is sitting around a dinner table, enjoying the fruits of labor and your proof of work in the here and now, not just in the future, but in the here and now. So look, I wish you and your wife all the successes in the world. I think you're on the right path, but you also got to learn to live in the here and now. And no one knows what the future brings, nor how some twists and turns can happen where all of a sudden, oh my goodness, I don't have as much time left as I thought I did. So yeah, that's the philosophical side of it. And then you have to balance the two. And I think, look, I, I'm going to be 60 before the year ends. I'm going to be 60. That's a pretty old age. Okay. And I'm, Proud to still be alive and kicking and fighting the good fight for the kids. A lot of people call me out. Some people think I'm some sort of what was the word I got called the other day? Some sort of hype beast. I'm a hype beast. <laughs> I am I am pumping Bitcoin for my bags. Oh, and by the way, this is from a religious guy, a guy who took issue with my swearing. I haven't sworn you you've himself. actually sworn, you, you've sworn <laughs> twice, okay? Which is very yeah. cool. Because I'm actually care. gonna go through. I'm going to go through this whole podcast without swearing. And then the, 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 the weight is on you because you
0: swear. i become right? the hype beast.
1: Yeah, yeah. But no, no, the hype beast is, look, if you ask me what my ideal outcome for Bitcoin was, this is almost sick, but I could live with the fact that Bitcoin didn't go up from here for the next 20 years. What it means then is Bitcoin gets to be bought by more of the people in the world that really need it at the cheap price that it is at. Um, But playing probabilities until information changes, I think you got to get in and dollar cost average in. Don't be fancy. Don't assume one of the potential outcomes is Bitcoin never achieves its adoption nor price targets. I think that's wrong. I think it's highly unlikely that Bitcoin price is not substantially higher within the next decade than it is now. So, you know, again, game of probabilities, game of preferences. I'm not sure how many kids you and your wife are planning to have. I do know that they're expensive. I got three of them.
0: Uh, (laughs) We've got two, uh, two little girls, and we're going to shoot for number three later this year. Well, congrats
1: to you, my friend. I got three as well, but they're two boys and a girl. Not that that matters. But when I grew up, they would say budget for a million dollars a kid, right? That's what you need to earn per child over their life is a million bucks. Uh, I would venture easily that it's got to be at least 2 million or more now for the current generation of children. And that's the reality. So it's not easy. Lots of people with lots of kids are incredible parents. But then there's some families that probably misplanned. And I'm not about to be a life coach or anything. I'll just say it's a fine line. And you always have to balance that. And so my best wishes to you and your wife. Own Bitcoin for each kid to the best of your ability to hold it as long as possible. But if it means not buying that home that provides you the comforts, I'm not okay. telling you that. I okay. just can't tell you that because also that home is a quasi hard asset that should maintain its value over time, barring a global financial meltdown where everyone has to leave Australia. But everyone's leaving Australia and Canada. Not everyone can live in the United States. But, you know, these, these things have happened historically. So, look, Jeff Booth is way more philosophical than I am on this subject. But I love his outlooks on things like this. I think he would say the same thing as I do. And if he doesn't, that's okay, too. It's only my opinion. But I think I'm close to probably being twice your age. I mean, you might certainly I'm 35. Not- So you're not over 40. I was just going to say, so I'm going to be 60. So I'm almost twice your age to each his own. And everybody has their own risk tolerance levels. Everyone has their own measurements. I know a lot of people who are very wealthy, who are extremely unhappy. And I'm not really sure that's the right way to live life either. Right. And I'm not saying you get happy by spending money, but sometimes it, moves the needle in the right direction.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that, Greg. It's one of the things I love about these podcasts is just the ability to learn from people. Like your life experience is, you know, you're here sharing it with me and I'm, I'm all ears, 100%. And it's, it's part of the plan. You know, in the near-term plan, a, a home for our family is crucial. And as my wife likes to say, shout out to Lozzy, you can't live in a Bitcoin. So that reality is something you have to navigate. So help me with
1: that. Shout out to?
0: Lauren Loz is my wife.
1: Oh, okay, okay, cool, cool. So I'm a huge fan of your crazy Aussie Bitcoiners, and there's this guy. Who is it? It's Hold on, comrades. It's he's an Aussie guy. His name's Bill. But what's his handle? His Twitter handle? Is yeah, that...
0: Hold on, comrades. Yeah. Okay. So Bill of okay.
1: okay, so and then didn't he say something and showed a train station with Aussie on it or something like that or
0: did you? Oh, see yeah, that Oh, yeah. So this is part of the question. I I don't know. Um uh if bill was referring to my wife loza but he was talking about the murarundi bush bash
1: yeah yeah, which yeah
0: yeah yeah is at the this railway is what I'm hotel what i to draw
1: a parallel uh, some sort because i like his style look i want to get to australia at some port- point in my life and it sure would be fun to correspond to one of these bush bashes? That's actually
0: a great stage, Greg. So I, I like to do an audience question. So shout out to Bill, wherever he is. He's one of the co-founders of the Bitcoin Bush Bash. And also to Chris, one of the co-founders of Bitcoin Alive, who asked, when are oh, yes. Bitcoin Alive? So, so those we had two a are wonderful different. Those are, yeah, different so they're, they're Those are different okay. events. Yeah. So okay. Bitcoin Alive was a, an event that I actually co-emceed with JP. Oh. Shout out to JP, which was in April of this year in a event space in Sydney. And it's like going to be a once a year paid ticketed Bitcoin event. And for in sure, Sydney? we'd love to it in, in Sydney? Sydney. Yeah. Okay. So it'll be next April or March next year. And it'd be so awesome March, to get you over. So March, don't have
1: it in March because the big thing's happening in Madeira next March. I think Jeff Booth is more privy to the information than I am, but uh, you know, one of the hard things for us Bitcoiners who love to go around is well, first of all, it's expensive, but secondly, it breaks my heart when I've got a prior commit that so this year (laughs) you can't be everywhere. Well, this year, for example, we had a Canadian Bitcoin conference, the first one there was in Toronto, which is my home, my town that I live in, but it, it it conflicted to the weekend almost of Alex Gladstein's in Norway. And damn, we couldn't get Jeff Booth to come to the Canadian Bitcoiners because he had already committed to the Norway event. And I don't mind, I mean, I get it. It's just unfortunate that Canada's most famous Bitcoiner, Jeff, wasn't able to attend our inaugural. And I wasn't organizing it, so I'm okay, but you know, Canada, we have some pretty solid Bitcoiners like you guys do in Aussie, but it, it's, it was unfortunate that that event conflicted, right? By the way, I'm a huge fan of Alex Gladstein, so that's okay. I mean, I get it. You make a commitment to go to Alex Gladstein. So, yeah, he's good stuff. And Jeff Booth, though, you can't have a Canadian Bitcoin conference and not have Jeff Booth there. That's that's a tough <laughs> We'll have concern.
0: to do it for next year. I'll get Chris, who runs Bitcoin Alive, to reach out and talk to you about that, and also Bill for the Bush Bash. And I know that previously we did a Bush Bash pretty close to Bitcoin Alive. Yeah. So people did come for both. So Chris Van oh, wow. came over for the Bitcoin Alive thing. Oh nice. I don't know that's if cool. you went to the Bush Bash as well, but it's kind of cool, the Bush Bash, because it's hosted in three different parts of Australia over the course of the year. And so you have to travel. So there's like a proof of work involved. And you get and it's non-KYC. So you turn up and there's all of these you know, <laughs> completely random cats that have, you know, pseudonymous names. You have no idea who anyone is and you just like chat about Bitcoin all day And the, oh, the bush. Good. It's uh, great.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Greg, one thing I'd love to do is uh, talk through your price prediction. Okay. And so we've skirted around it a little and I know people listening will be interested to hear. So how do you structure a price prediction and where do you see Bitcoin?
1: Great question. So look, uh, first of all, A price means nothing in the absence of a valuation metric. This past weekend, there was a lot of back and forth, which I think was healthy on the validity of the S2F model and price prediction with time attached. And I'll say this, I'm a fan of plan B, but I don't agree with his model. But that's fine. I don't have to agree with his model. I actually liked his guts to come out with a price prediction model that had time attached. And one of the things I like to say is give a target but not a time or give a time and a direction but not a target. So number goes up over time but I'm not giving you the target or here's my target measured in today's dollars but I'm not giving you a time frame as to where, when it will achieve that. It's impossible, first of all. So the whole S2F model was against my ethos. That being said, I applauded the kid for trying to put something on paper that provided a framework for a methodology, which is fine. Look, that's all it is. So I come from a credit background. And the first thing I try to do is value Bitcoin using open market interest instruments that people can't argue with because it's set by the market, okay? I'm not making the market on credit default swaps of sovereign nations. That's set by an efficient market of participants who are determining what the likelihood of default is of sovereign debt. And it changes on a daily basis. And it's reflected in what's called a CDS spread or a credit default swap spread on that particular borrower. And I spent my life in credit. I think credit is a very smart market, generally dominated by people who like mathematics and who have mathematical models. So the first thing I do is I calculate a value of Bitcoin relative to other instruments in the world. And I determine whether Bitcoin is rich or cheap on a value basis. And I mentioned my CDS methodology. And Swan Bitcoin has a guy by the name of AlphaZeta. That's his Twitter handle. Uh, AlphaZeta produced this thing called the NakamotoPortfolio.com. It's a brilliant open source software portfolio that one of the tools in there calculates the value of Bitcoin using the FOSS model of CDS spreads. I ran it this weekend and using open market rates together with a couple of adjustments that I use because they're personal adjustments, I get a value of Bitcoin today. A value, not a target. I need to say this. It's a value that can change because the open market spreads change the value is over 250,000 US per Bitcoin based on that methodology. So that's the value. Now you ask me for a target. Well, don't forget that value changes as the probability of default of sovereign debt changes because I view Bitcoin as being the anti-fiat. But let's go back to a simpler target price methodology. The total addressable market of financial assets in the world we already mentioned was 900 trillion US, okay? I like to put... A probability that Bitcoin will attain a certain percent of that total global financial assets. And I construct a probability distribution in my head of a continuous distribution, but we don't have enough time to do that. Let's construct a binary distribution, meaning there's only two outcomes. The first outcome I'm going to use is Bitcoin gets a 5% market share of 900 trillion, and that's 900 trillion in today's dollars. What's 5% of 900 trillion, Jake? I know you know it's $45 trillion. What is $45 trillion divided by 21 million Bitcoin? The answer is it's more than 2.1 million US dollars per Bitcoin. So I have a valuation methodology that says it's worth over 250,000, but that's a dynamic measurement. And I have a target in this binary outcome of. Over 2 million US dollars per Bitcoin, which assumes that 5% of all of global financial assets get moved into Bitcoin. Everything else being equal, that's 45 trillion or otherwise about twice the size of the US GDP. Point is, you have this target. To make the math easy, let's make it a 2 million dollar price target. And today. And it's in today's dollars. I need to be very clear about that. That's 2 million US per Bitcoin in today's dollars. So we're not talking about appreciation or due to a deflating or debasing US dollar. So you got your 2 million. And the other side of the equation is a zero. Okay. And let's put a probability that that happens. And we'll play a game. I'm not 100% certain it gets there. But if I was 50% certain it gets to my price target and 50% certain it goes to a zero, which is also not really an outcome, but we'll still use it in our probability analysis. 50% when you calculate an expected value, 50% times your value of 2 million equals 1 million plus 50% times zero is zero. You add the two together, you get an expected value. That's what expected value analysis is, meaning... If Bitcoin is trading at under one million US dollar per Bitcoin, based on this binary distribution with a 50-50 outcome, you're supposed to buy it and buy more if the price is under a million. But here's where the math gets interesting. What if you turn it on its ear and say, "Okay, what is the probability the market is giving me that my price of two million is right? And it's trading at 30,000 US, make the math easy, 30,000. What's 30,000 divide by 2 million? It's 1.5%. It's another way of saying the market is only giving me a 1.5% chance I'm right. And it's telling me there's a 98.5% chance I'm wrong, right? You get that? Right? 1.5% times 2 million is 30,000. 98.5 times 0 is 0. You add the two together. There's your 30,000 current trading price in today's dollars. This is how I like to summarize it. I'm not 100% certain Bitcoin hits my price target, but I'm way more confident than 1.5%. You cool with that? Therefore, Bitcoin is cheap on a probability-adjusted basis as this knucklehead from Canada, FOSS, thinks about probability distributions and outcomes. And therefore, I'm comfortable owning Bitcoin at 30000 bucks. And here's where things get fun. Even at 100000 bucks per US per Bitcoin, it's stupid cheap, people. It's stupid, stupid cheap at three times the price. That's
0: all I can say. And it's awesome. So that's a really, really simple but effective framework
1: yeah grade 11 math pretty well anybody can understand this
0: and this is slightly more of an emotional observation but everyone i've met in the bitcoin space you mentioned that you're sitting at about 40 percent allocation to bitcoin today largely because of your own work etc and and finding out what this thing is but the closer you get and i talked through this with jeff as well the more you know the more you buy Hmm. and so uh, the idea that only five percent of nine hundred trillion is going to go into Bitcoin is just let So it's
1: just do the math. So then, what if it's twenty percent? Then all of a sudden, the price target is four times five percent, eight million dollars. And what yeah, happens if it's fifty percent? You know, mm. this is where I think. But who cares? Because if it's two million already in today's dollars, mission accomplished. It doesn't matter if it's eight million dollars. It's just you can do so many good things for other people, which means you could probably you know, help people in Africa by doing an orphanage because they were not lucky enough to be able to stack Bitcoin with your degree of conviction or your financial resources. Look, Jeff Booth is probably the nicest guy I've ever met in my life with the biggest heart and the most ethical. If Bitcoin hit our price target. I mean, I know Jeff Booth would do so much good stuff with that money that the world would be so thankful. I'd like to think I'm a portion of the Jeff Booth. I've already done some stuff with Looking Glass Education. Incidentally, you know Daz Band? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So he's part of Looking
1: Glass, right? Great guy.
0: Love what he's doing.
1: I'm a business partner with him. Never met him in person, but he's doing such a great job.
0: We met in person at Bitcoin Alive, actually. Awesome.
1: Look, this is what we're doing here a Bitcoin community that cares, we're logical. I really am not a hype beast, okay? Like, please understand. Like, I just i am not trying to pump my bags.
0: Sorry, Greg, if I could push back for a moment. It's it's not being a hype beast. It's just talking through the model you just have. And it's it speaks for itself. So I don't care who you are, if you're some kind of religious zealot or you're just the average person on the street, if you listen to that and you don't get interested in the potential investment opportunity then that's on you it's not about being a hype beast it's just it's, it's obvious.
1: i i say it because you know i have to say i'm not religious but i am spiritual and the last thing i want to do is offend people who believe deeply in a religion that i i respect but i'm not one of them for various reasons and i'm not trying to belittle it whatever but I spoke at Thank God for Bitcoin and I was proud of it. I did not swear. Okay, I did not swear. But this particular gentleman was asking me never to swear again if I want to come back and speak at the Thank God for Bitcoin conference. And I get it. Look, I understand. But I will also play probabilities. There's zero chance I'm not swearing again. Okay, zero. Like, oh my God, that is a certainty as well. It's Just because I get emotional, I use that explicative to emphasize It's a trading floor mentality. Let's not focus on that. Thank God for Bitcoin was a great conference. People that swear because they care. I like to think I swear because I care, but sometimes I use it. It's misplaced. All I know is generally Bitcoiners are good people and we're not all the same. Witness this weekend where there was an argument over a pricing model. That's healthy. You know, we do live in a bit of an echo chamber, but some of us, take issue with everyone always saying the same thing all the time. And he took issue with me. I'm cool with it. I get it. But I'm afraid that I'm an old dog and I'm not going to learn the new trick of not being able to put an emphasis on something. Or when I'm mad, basically, you know, say the unfavorable, Greg Foss loves you, the GFY. Okay? Like, sometimes you just got to say it. Me, me. That being said, Jake, look. I love the young kids that are coming into the, the Bitcoin community. Uh, shout out to your own guy, Luke Mikich. Mick, I met him in person a couple of times. I don't need him to grow up to be a salty old windbag like Greg Foss. Like, be your own person. That's all cool, too. But I love when he picks up on certain mathematical models and skills that, that you and I are promoting. And But we're not promoting it to pump our bags. We're promoting it as a thought process. In understanding how to value probabilities, outcomes, financial assets in different risk silos. And I think you and Peter and all the guys in Oz are doing it a mate. Oh, shout out to a lady in Oz as well, Pringle Mac. I'm not sure if you've met her, but just an amazing person. I just need to, to say, look, I'm proud to be on your team. I I don't need you to become me. I can barely stand me. Why would I want you to become me if I can't even stand myself? You know what I'm saying? I know when I'm saying things over and over and over again, but sometimes you have to repeat yourself because some people, they, they, they don't listen. And sometimes you can say it as often, and then you just have to give up and move on. But I applaud you for doing your new podcast. It's for the benefit of children, yours included. Um, And I'm a big fan
0: of that. so. That's very exciting. Well, Greg, that feels like a a good place to end. So thank you so much for your time today. I I really appreciate that you have continued just to explain your rationale and to talk us through how you see the world. And and some people aren't listening. That's okay. That's their choice. But there are others of us out there that say, God, this guy's done 35 years as a bond trader and is telling me that bonds are a hunk of junk. Do something about it, Jake. You know, if you don't sit there and and actually try and react to this information, then that's on you. And it's really just a case of personal accountability, et cetera. And Bitcoin teaches you a lot, doesn't it? So anyway, Greg, anything you want to mention as a handoff at all?
1: Yeah, here's the great handoff. First of all, thank you for what you're doing. Uh, Second, I'm forever going to be grateful for the people I've met in the Bitcoin community. All right. We've already mentioned Jeff Booth. I'm happy uh, to have met in person, Luke. I hope someday to meet you, Jake. I love what Daz Behan's doing. My business partner Daz, my other business partner Seb Bunny, who lives in Whistler, British Columbia, on the other side of Canada, and then the third part of that triumvirate is Dahlia Platt, who's a Bitcoiner from Colombia that wrote the book for me, Primera Bitcoin, right? The, the 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 education system that they're using in El Salvador. To educate the kids on Bitcoin. And I couldn't be more proud of my business partners. But also of the people I've met in this community. And some of them hate me. Which is cool. Because we can't all see eye to eye. But you know I certainly know my haters. Some of them. That's fine. That's their, that's their prerogative. I'm good with it. Measuring my newfound friendships. By people like yourselves that I brought up. So I look forward to doing this with you again. I hope someday to visit you guys in Australia. I hope that I know we are going to be successful. It just depends on how you measure it. And, uh, you know, you can measure it by price, but you can also measure it by one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Or you could measure it by new people that you've met in the Bitcoin community, which incidentally reminds me. So this was a personalized shirt. I don't know if you can see it. It says Bitcoin and it has my name on it and it has a date. And it's when me and Jeff Booth and Natalie Brunel and Canute And who else was on that trip? I'm forgetting a couple of guys that were on that trip for sure. Oh, the filmmaker, Pierre Corbin was on the trip. Ibex Mercado. We had these these t-shirts made personally by the guy in Bulgaria that invited us to tour Bulgaria. And it's a trip that I'll never forget in my life. Hanging out with these great Bitcoiners on a bus, all right, with those great Bitcoiners. Are you telling me you can't learn the most intense environment to learn about what other people are about and everything. So shout out, this guy's name was Plamen from Bulgaria who made this t-shirt. Jeff Booth has one. It doesn't say Greg Foss on it. Well, maybe it does. Maybe it says Greg Foss. Everybody got Greg Foss t-shirts, but I doubt it. I'm highly certain that they all were personalized. (laughs) This is why Bitcoin. Okay. Call it a great day. 800,000 Bitcoin blocks uh, have been mined. 60 minutes on the Jake podcast, Bitcoin advisor, rock and roll.
0: Thank you, Greg, so much. Appreciate it. Airpik, thank you so much for listening all the way to the end of this episode. Firstly, if you want to learn more about our services, then please head to our website, www.thebitcoinadvisor.com. Secondly, if you have any friends or family members that might be interested in what we do, then please use our referral program. And lastly, please support the show by subscribing, rating and sharing our content. Until next time, take care, friends.